A reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm happy to welcome you today, happy to welcome you online. If that's the way you're joining us, a popular thing to do on Marathon Sunday. Congratulations to you who uh, made it here in person and fought traffic, especially if you intended to be here for the 9 o'clock service. Let us pray. Startle us, O oh God, with the truth and love and grace in your word. And bring among us the challenges you give us as God's people to tell good news to the world around us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This Sunday and next, I will be preaching sermons on the book of Psalms. Psalms are incredibly important. The Bible is full of all kinds of stories and wisdom about who we are and why we are here and how we are to live, and the Psalms have their own distinctive role. As the poetry of the Bible in the, the Psalms, we see the giants of faith working through their own struggles. And in reading them ourselves, we allow their struggles to help us work through our own. This morning's sermon material is difficult, but it is important. It is the stuff of real life. And as is always the case in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the end is good news. Psalm 31, which we are reading today, has its own voice of struggle. Its author, who I will refer to as the psalmist, the psalmist struggles between deep faith on the one hand and also an overwhelming sense of fear. At times he says confidently things like, You, God, are indeed my rock and my fortress. You are my refuge. You have redeemed me. But at other times, the very same voice is crying out in doubt and pain. My life is spent with sorrow. I am the scorn of all my enemies. My strength fails because of my misery. And what is at the heart of this struggle between faith and fear is something he calls shame. It is referenced in the opening verse, In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Do not ever let me be put to shame. Just about all of us struggle with shame at one time or another. 
though some do much more than others. And that may be most sad because shame is not what God wants for us. Shame is a big deal. Shame can tear one's life apart. It is like guilt, but it is guilt that has taken on a life of its own. Psychologist and popular author Brene Brown writes that shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are unworthy of love and belonging. I'll read that again. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are unworthy of love and belonging. The great rabbi and author Harold Kushner said that guilt is feeling bad for what you have done or not done, but shame is feeling bad for who you are. In other words, guilt is like knowing I've made a mistake, but shame is the feeling that I am a mistake. The difference is that we can usually live through and get over many of our mistakes that may cause guilt, but there are other ones that stick with us and haunt us. We are afraid that they are going to get unearthed at some point and sneak up and destroy us. And the power that they carry makes us afraid to live. Psalm 31 suggests that even Jesus struggled with shame. Jesus called upon the words of Psalm 31 in his dying hours. You may not have thought about it this way, so great is our esteem for Jesus. But hanging on the cross in the presence of all, Jesus is being publicly shamed. Crucifixion was a Roman punishment reserved for crimes where one had criminally challenged the authority and power of the empire. Crucified persons were shamed for their attempts to disregard the power of Rome. Now, of course, Jesus committed no crime other than loving God more than he loved the emperor. His life was lived in the midst of a world that devalued human life, that treated most people like worthless cogs in an economic machine that powered the empire. Maybe that rings true in our day as well. But Jesus reminded people that in spite of what the world seemed to be saying, God loved them still. They had worth and belonging. Their creator had a plan for them, even though it was greater than anything they could yet see. Rome hated that message. It threatened their whole strategy. So in Jesus' death, Rome hangs him on the cross as if to say, Jesus, all you worked for and everything you have done is a failure. Ours is the way of the world. You are a loser. Your struggle was worth nothing. You are a failure. You are a mistake. 
Perhaps some of you can relate to this idea of being shamed for doing good, doing the right thing. Perhaps in some noble moment you have been dressed down at a family gathering or insulted at a cocktail party for being overly compassionate or kind or hopeful. They have called you naive. But this was not a cocktail party moment for Jesus. This was his whole life. He told people good news and was shamed for it. Shamed to death. Now, of course, for the rest of us, shame is often different than it was for Jesus. Some of us, it is true, are shamed because we stand up for what is right. But for most of us, shame is about ways in which we have failed. And remember, shame is not simple guilt over something we have done. It is a feeling that our whole life has been overshadowed by it. Shame is the young child who has already internalized the message that says, I am a bad kid. Shame is the teenager or young adult who has made some sexual exploration and wonders if it means he's going to hell. Shame is the parent who has made some mistake in child-rearing or the professional who has made some unethical business decision and feels these things are unforgivable. Shame is when we carry these things with us for years or even decades. They take on a life of their own. We hide from them. Like the author of Psalm 31, in shame we see our past deeds pursuing us like an enemy, tracking us down to expose us for what we have done and to destroy our life, to cancel us, as the culture says, because what we have done is unforgivable. Shame is usually carried out as a secret. In thinking about it this week, I was led to the website of an artist named Frank Warren. Years ago, Warren began an art project he called Post Secret. He invited people to send him anonymous, personally decorated postcards and to write their secrets on them. He received hundreds of thousands of submissions. He's published books of them, and you can read them posted on his website. Some of them are funny, if a bit sad, the quiet ways people have taken revenge on a nasty boss or a spouse who betrayed them. Others of them cross into a territory that is deeply troubling. In it, we see the cruelty and despair that comes from Regular people who suffer from shame. And just about all the secrets, and the incredible number of them, show us just how many secrets and how much shame is out there. One person has written this of Frank Warren's project. Every single person has at least one secret that would break your heart. And she continues, if we could just remember this, 
I think there would be more compassion and tolerance in the world. So this is the psalmist's struggle. He is living with shame. He is deathly afraid that someone is going to come along who will put him to shame. His past is going to catch up with him. How can it be otherwise? And how then will he live? But as I said at the beginning, this is not a one-sided psalm. And in the midst of the shame that he carries, he is also aware of what will save him. His hope is in God. Because God does not deal in shame. This is what our shame has in common with the shame of Jesus. There is a way out. And the way is the knowledge that God did not create us for shame and does not want us to live in it. Hanging on the cross, the last words of Jesus in his earthly life come from Psalm 31. Into your hands, O God, I commend my spirit. When shame is overwhelming to us, it is God who is there to save us, to remind us of the value and goodness of our lives, and that there is nowhere we can go where God's love does not follow us. For Jesus, all of the words of shame that are woven through Psalm 31 were true. Shame did pursue him very much like an enemy. But also it was true, his declaration that God is a rock and a fortress for us. That God lifts us out of the net in which we are trapped. That God wishes to set us on a good and broad path so that we may walk forward in life. If it sounds naive and silly to suggest love in the midst of a world of shame, well, that's because it is. This is the part of the story of Christ that is the most bizarre because it is the most contrary to everything else we hear in the world. The life and death of Jesus are meant to teach us that in the midst of our brokenness, we are still worthy of love. This is the great irrationality of the gospel. This is the miracle of grace. And as irrational as it may be, it is not wrong. It is irrational, but it is not wrong. It is a, mo a notion so powerful that when the Romans intended to shame Jesus into submission through death on a cross, quite the opposite is what took place. His death transformed the history of the world. In God's eyes, we are never put to shame and it turns out that's what the world is so desperately needing to hear. There is no sin that is irredeemable, no mistake that can cause God to regret our creation or to believe that we are no good. The power of this unreasonable, irrational message is what has drawn countless believers to Christ throughout the ages. 
the testimony that God loves us still. Often we imagine ourselves to be so much more unforgivable than we really are. If our worst secrets came into view, perhaps there would be a time of reckoning a need to come clean, but not in a way that would ruin one's life. So often continuing to live with our secrets is much more damaging than what would happen if we allowed them to be made known. Certainly that's the case with so many among us who carry shame over addiction, depression, mental illness of so many kinds. In these very circumstances, the witness of our faith is so very important and powerful that God is not ashamed of us, so we need not be ashamed of ourselves. Jesus' life does not end with shame on the cross. And because his life was lived for us, we inherit the power of his message. Shame can be overwhelming, yes. In situations where it is coupled with the power of mental illness, it is deeply threatening and sometimes takes our lives. In those circumstances, we pray for the day when every child of God will stand before the one who created us and learn once and for all that we are good and lovable in ways we might never imagined could be true. There are also people seated in this very room and watching online today whose lives have already been transformed by the power of the love of God, they have found a way to let go of their shame. They might have done that in a 12-step group or in a confession to a pastor with a friend or in therapy. We give thanks. And we talk about shame out loud in church because we pray that others will learn from these stories. Often the escape from shame begins with an unreasonable and yet profound and powerful truth. The one we share here in church, that our God is not ashamed of us. God is not ashamed of you and loves you still. The church is not a place of shame. It is a place of grace. And that is why Christ says, into your hands, O God, I commend my spirit. And why the psalmist says with confidence, O God, let me never be put to shame. Amen.